Mark, how you doing, my friend? <laughs> Good. Thanks for having me on. Hey, I'm yeah, I'm thrilled. I, I keep saying I'm super excited, but I mean it every single time I say it. Uh, particularly with you, because of the work that you have done, you've been in the space for many years now, and you have done some innovative work. And you went over from UHG United Healthcare Group to MZ. If you would please introduce yourself and what you do there at MZ, and what we're going to be talking about today. Yeah, happy to. Well, yeah, just been uh, super privileged to be a part of Pafau and getting to know you, Al, and the team. And um, yeah, a little bit about my background. So yeah, Mark Hansen, uh, I help on our product side uh, here at MC Burning Glass, uh, do a lot of strategy work and skills work. And so uh, wear many hats. Uh, but previously, I was able to use this wonderful uh, data that we have, all this uh, rich labor market information, and was applying it at United Health Group, like you mentioned. So uh, helped uh, on their uh, people analytics team for five years and was able to do tons of fun projects and got really ingrained in everything from diversity and inclusion reporting to talent acquisition uh, work and all the reporting needs and strategy that goes around that to site selection to uh, workforce planning. So we, we touched a little bit of everything during my time there. And so it's been fun to be on the other side of uh, seeing how the sausage is made on the data side and how we can provide insights to others and uh, some of the cool innovative people that we get to work with to uh, uh, come up with new products and new solutions uh, to help out. So um, yeah, been a, fun to be in the industry and get to know people and, and really just work hand in hand with our customers to solve uh, their uh, all the issues that are popping up, especially in this <laughs> crazy talent market that we have right now. Well, it's going to be crazy probably for the foreseeable future, right? I mean, in some cases, there's a gross undersupply of talent. In other cases, you know, there's an abundance of talent and, you know, how that affects workforce planning, how it affects business continuity and how work gets done. You know, all that is in play. And, you know, if organizations aren't bringing this data to the fore, to the discussion, then they're incurring, at least in my view, too much risk, uh, unnecessary risk. So not that I'm selling you, but like the whole space of talent intelligence, which is what we're going to talk about today and how it can and arguably should be used to inform whether you build, buy, borrow and all that. Uh, but before we get to that discussion, will you share what happened with MZ and burning glass and where you all are now? Because I know many are curious, particularly as this talent and space, talent intelligence space grows and expands, new players are coming in and all of a sudden, you know, you're making a lot of noise in, the, in, in a good way. So can you share what happened there? Absolutely. Yeah. So when we came through the, the pandemic, um, we, we were, uh, very fortunate to be a growing company still. And, um, as different investors were reaching out, um, this a wonderful merger opportunity came available and burning glass. We had, you know, competed with them for 20 years. And so it's, we were, our names were synonymous in most, most conversations we were always considered. And so we always had, uh, just a strong, positive view of them. And, um, when we had the opportunity to come together through the private equity company that owns us both, it was just, it was a wonderful match. And so we were able to take a lot of the wonderful work that they were doing, match it up with the work that we were doing. Um, and it really was a, a really nice uh, synergy uh, between some of the modeling that they had, some of the uh, libraries that we had. Um, they uh, loved that we had open sourced our job title library and our skill library. Um, that was something that, you know, uh, meshed really well with some of the rigor and different data models that they had around skills and titles. And so we've been able to mesh that in over the last year um, to push our data together and push our solutions together and kind of have a, a go forward uh, market strategy of, of having singular solutions and they're extremely robust. So we 
gathered you know more global data. We gathered um, some key internal um, processes that uh, have really improved our data gathering process. And so um, we also just picked up wonderful colleagues. And so it's been a, a really fun journey. And um, our uh, private equity company, KKR, though, that owns us, we're actually sitting under their social impact fund. And so we actually have to adhere to um, some of the UN sustainability goals um, as part of being that fund. And so they wholeheartedly embraced our open uh, open source strategy with with our data and they, they want more. And so we're um, continue to push new strategies for what else can we open source? What can we uh, put out there in the market to, you know, be a light in that data for good? Um, so really excited about our owners and about our merger with Burning Glass. It's been um, a, a really fun experience and we got some really uh, fun things coming up in the near future that we're excited to share in, in the coming months. Yeah, and we're, I'll just tee it up right now. On June 16th, we're going to be there in your hometown of Minneapolis doing a mini conference and a, and a meetup for that community. And it's going to be a hybrid event. So if you want to watch and join the discussion uh, via a live stream here on LinkedIn or on YouTube, you can do that. So, hey, let's get into this because yeah, as you're talking, I'm getting all excited. And I want to stage uh, what we're going to talk about in this context is that I was once... Uh, nearly 20 years ago now, um, in role as a people analytics leader. And it was before that it was even called that. But the idea at that time was that we would be looking at internal data to better understand the workforce and where it was going. In other words, what were people thinking and feeling and how can we have retention strategies? How can we have internal mobility strategies? How can we uh, focus our learning strategies? All fine and good, right? And that has evolved. Over that time, we have this talent market data that has become more robust. And it now helps not only shed light on how we can and should be recruiting and where our location strategy should be uh, considering where we should go and, and recruit and build offices and all that stuff, but it's also the fact that it sheds light on our own organizations. And so arguably, and this is something that I advocate, people analytics and talent intelligence if not the same, it's just an expansion of one or the other into a cohesive view of what's happening in your organization relative to the greater talent market. So with that as a staging, how do you advocate your solutions be used within organizations and by who? It's a wide variety. And I think as you've hit the nail on the head with, you know, it, it used to be this like HR analytics function that was usually up the side of someone's desk. And now it's becoming such a central part to the talent discussion because we've experienced things like talent shortages and recruiting gets a lot harder. So all of a sudden talent acquisition is in the mix of saying, we got to understand our markets better. And then we have folks like workforce planning say, well, we're about to open a new location. Where do we need to find these people? Is this location sustainable? And then real estate strategy gets involved um, and, the, and the list goes on and on. And then you start to look at, well, we can't just always hire externally. It gets really expensive for certain roles. It's not always you know, cost effective to hire externally. Um, now you have a talent management org getting involved to say, what is our internal mobility strategy? What is uh, our internal talent pipeline look like? Do we have the right succession plans in place? Do we have, um, you know, good development programs to retain the right folks and, uh, you know, strategically move them throughout the org as, you know, to keep them here and keep them interested in our company. And so the customer base has really 
expanded into almost the entire HR organization to a certain extent, because everything touches talent, everything from employer relations and learning development and, you know, workforce planning, like the, the core to the biggest cost of all companies is people. And so when you start to actually do some plans around that, you realize the value of not only understanding your internal workforce, but looking outside your four walls to say, okay, in order for us to be successful strategically long-term, we have to understand the markets that we're in, our talent strategy for where do we pull in people? Do we have the option for remote and telecommuter work? Um, or do we have to stay, you know, in person? And, you know, that varies by industry and company type of, do you have a manufacturing facility? Yeah, very hard to do remote work. You know, that's the pandemic was a, extremely hard on those talent orgs that had the, that requirement of in-person work. A um, little bit easier for some of the software companies, but as we've seen with the talent shortages, the you know cost for data scientists and software engineers is skyrocketing because there is limited supply and, and huge demand from all these wonderful startups that are popping up. So the talent struggles uh, are not getting easier to any stretch of the means, and more and more groups are having to come together to solve the holistic talent problem. Well, I certainly agree. <laughs> and I also want to ask pointedly, where do you think we are in being a data geek us uh, on a 10 point scale? Where are we kind of in general terms on a maturity curve, if you will, you know, in terms of, hey, organizations, most organizations, most large organizations in particular, but this applies to small and medium sized organizations as well. You know, where do you think we are in terms of where we're going to be relative to five years down the road in the utilization of this type of insight for the purposes that you just described? Do you think we're early or, you know, pretty mature? I think we're very early. I mean, I'd say the, the big orgs are probably maybe a four or five, the smaller and mediums are maybe a two or a three. They're just starting that journey. The wonderful thing about this innovation is there's amazing uh, platform um, and solutions out there that are popping up that, you know, AI is really helping this, but it, I, I don't think that's quite mature enough yet. Um, all of those models are getting better and the access to data is, is getting better and, and how things interact and plug in, um, you know, to interface with one another that that there needs to be a lot of improvement in the space. Um, so I think we're still really early on and as technology develops and as these solutions develop and come together to uh, you know, integrate more effectively. I think we're going to see the ease of seeing this data, gathering this data, making uh, decisions from the data and just pulling the right insights is going to become easier and easier over the next five years. But it's still a, a pretty arduous process to put together proper insights. And so you, you've seen um, some of the big orgs invest heavily. Um, when I left United Health Group uh, three years ago, there was 68 people just on our people analytics team. And so uh, about six years before that, there was four people. And so we had this massive um, growth because the data appetite grew and grew and grew and the sophistication of what was needed grew and grew and grew. And so I don't see that slowing down anytime soon. Um, but the wonderful uh, HR tech partners that we get to work with, um, they're pushing the needle on uh, the innovation and the easier it is to consolidate this data, put it into useful views and insights. Um, is only going to improve over the next five years. So I, I can see us growing uh, in that maturity model pretty fast um, because AI and computer modeling and all the fun stuff we uh, get to work on uh, is only going to increase over time. Well, yeah, I want to 
highlight a couple things. And I know we're going to talk about, you know, skills and skills-based workforce planning. And, and But when we talk about build, buy, borrow, you know, th those constructs, which we'll also talk about from an organizational perspective, it also applies to leaders, uh, CHROs and others who are building a people analytics capability. Uh, because again, when I started, it was like, we're trying to do a significant heavy lifts internally with limited resources. And we started to partner certainly with technology providers and consultancies. Uh, but now, you know, what you know, uh, am I gonna do given the proliferation of data? I am not going to build an MZ Burning Glass solution. You know, that is something that I need to write a check for. Uh, I mean, and it's just, I'm not selling you, it's just, am I, either going to go without that insight or I'm going to have to write a check. And it begs the question to who and for, for what purpose. So again, I don't want to just, you know, position you all as a sell job, but what I do want to highlight is not only is it about hiring the right person to lead a people analytics function, it's being an educated shopper. It's understanding what the capability you're trying to create is and making sure you have an ecosystem of people process technology that enables that. Would you agree with that statement and anything you want to qualify? No, hundred percent. I mean, again, I think the HR tech stack solutions are just complicated and there's many of them. And so doing your due diligence there to mesh with your talent strategy for the people it's, is absolutely critical because they're, you can always throw people at a problem, but it's not the most efficient way to do it. Um, and so hiring a couple of those key team members, I think early on and building that team that can paint a picture for a vision of how the data architecture should work, how the tech solution stack should work together, that is critical first hires because then you can fill the gaps in with any, because um, right now the technology is not to the point where um, you know, where humans can't, <laughs> they have to be involved. And so they're, they yeah. haven't replaced them yet um, with those insights. We still need manual data cleansing. There still needs to be some intuition on, you know, organizing the data in the right ways. So um, that's where most companies struggle is to kind of get that uh, kind of vision established of where do we want to be? And then the noisiness of the players, it takes a lot of time to review them. I think where um, we always encourage customers to get their internal data uh, right first. I mean, that's your core people data. You got to have some initial insights before you start looking externally because that context is massively beneficial, um, but you need to couple it well with your internal data um, and really focus on some of those key talent groups that are, you know, potential issues for you or really uh, big growth opportunities for you to focus on for the near future. Um, so there's, it's always a phased approach, but yeah, that's where we encourage folks is get your internal data house in order. Then let's look at all of the insights that we can bring in from these, uh, you know, other sources that will be beneficial to create that holistic uh, talent strategy. Yeah, lo love it. And uh, well, let's talk about skills-based workforce planning, because there's a lot of, you know, um, I was about to say noise. That's not fair. Uh, there's a lot of talk around skills, skills-based workforce planning. Uh, what is it to you and how does it come to life? It's really um, taking all of the wonderful insights that are coming from the different uh, tech solutions that we have deployed within our HR organization and trying to create some common sense uh, with it. And we love this uh, visual from Josh Burson because we think it ties this well together. If you think about your LXP and your talent marketplace and your recruiting platforms and just your core HR systems um, uh, where it holds all your org and job architecture, there is a skills language typically built into most of those. But the issue that we have is none of those skills are actually um, 
uh, the same coming from the same library or in the same terminology. Um, and they certainly don't have the same kind of underlying, you know, IDs uh, to code those uh, skill terms. And so as we think about this, we say, okay, for us to be more efficient with our decision-making of where do we deploy talent? When do we go internal versus external? Where do we deploy learning and to which groups? We have to understand the underlying skills because that is the basically the atom of what describes work, of what describes learning. And we think it's a critical component because it's one of the first times we've had an ability to have a robust skill language um, and something that um, you know we're very proud of for open sourcing because we're trying to create these efficiencies and for all the vendors and all the data aspects to bring this together. And if we're using the same language with machine readable IDs that can connect these systems in a logical way, all of a sudden, all of the insights start popping much, much clearer in the systems and in that central repository of where we need to pull these together, because that is your, uh, you know, your internal brain of the organization. If we have the right data and it's in the same language and we can deploy our, um, you know, strategies to the right spots. Now we can understand the skills of our people, the skills needed for certain jobs. It help us helps us to plan for the future of work. So what are those future roles? What skills are needed? We might not know the names of those roles. We might just know that, hey, we're seeing a trend in in this particular role and it's going to shift more from a, you know, a manual process with a human doing that work to a bot doing that work. How do we enable that? Um, and what skills are we needed for those future jobs? Um, having it in a core language unlocks all of that. And then we can start to deploy early learning uh, based on those skills and where those roles sit. We can start to look at, you know, folks that could be a potential risk of leaving our org. How do we uh, have proper interventions, whether it's learning interventions or development uh, interventions or mobility interventions to help engage them and keep them there. And skills just sh sheds a light on that. We used to have complicated crosswalks or we were going with our gut instinct that core skill language just unlocks uh, just a wealth of uh, data down to the very granular level, level that we can connect multiple things together. So uh, everything that you said, I mean, I'm just, you know, if I had a tail, I'd be wagging it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> But I also am ultra aware of the delta between what's possible and what's actually happening today. And we talked about the scale earlier, you know, two to four. So I'm going to bring this up as I, I uh, asked this question and it's a simple one, but the answer I know is not who owns this mm -hmm. and who are the key stakeholders. And that, pro that answer is probably pretty simple. Um, but at what frequency do they ideally meet? And what I'm asking for right now is not so much, you know, what's happening currently but in your ideal future state you know what would you and it could be based on a leading practice of a company that you're working with now but you know who's leading it who, who is in the room and at what frequency are they considering these very fundamental uh, decisions on how work gets done yeah uh, the conversation has moved uh all, to, all the way to the highest spot to the chros are really starting to see the value of this and for it to be effective, it really needs to start at the highest spot in HR. Um, to, be, to change uh, HR tech stack, to change some of your data modeling, to change uh, deployment of resources towards certain key projects, it really has to start at the top. And so that's where a lot of our uh, the companies that are really driving innovative change within their HR orgs are are having really 
wonderful uh, leadership sponsorship. And these conversations around skills are reaching the CEO level and, and the entire C-suite. So that's one thing that's been a wonderful trend where five years ago, we wouldn't have said that. Um, it's like, hey, our learning and development orgs over here, they're at cost center. Let's just make sure that, you know, we're getting something out for our employees. And now it's like, oh, our employees are leaving at a high rate. That's very expensive. <laughs> oh, we can't hire people. And it's taking months and months to find the right people. And, you know, everybody's bleeding because they're doing double work. Now, all of a sudden, the skill development conversations, the employee retention conversations are driving right to the C-suite. And that's a wonderful thing for, as we think about our, our employees, they are being empowered more than ever and more resources are being driven to them. And so as this trickles down from the CHRO, it really starts to get into the talent management org because they're the ones looking for these insights. Obviously the people analytics team are usually the one gathering the data and pulling this together, um, you know, trying to create their data lakes and other uh, centralized repositories to bring in these insights. Um, and they're creating dashboards to empower the HR business partners and the different HR leaders. Um, so we've seen a variety of people own this data. Um, on the job architecture, it's actually usually owned by the compensation team, which is very interesting. And so they're maintaining new job titles and new job codes and um, really deploying the core HRIS systems. Um, and so there's many players, but you need that executive champion. Otherwise, none of the change happens. And what many companies end up with is they have a need for a learning solution. So the L and D team goes out and buys, uh, you know, an LXP or an LMS, and then it does its thing and it sits in isolation and nobody has the foresight to say, oh, is there data flowing through that? That should maybe be centralized back with our other analytics work. And it's not a, it, it's just a common thing that happens. And the bullying this up to the higher leadership levels helps us to say, we should be grabbing as much data we can from our learning systems, our talent marketplace systems that are becoming extremely popular, looking at our recruiting platform. Have we extracted all the value out of our ATS? Um, are we meshing things back together from our, our core HR job architecture to make sure that we have the centralized insight? And so it takes a village, um, but for any of the uh, preemptive work and kind of that broad vision of how this needs to come together, it really has to be at the highest level. Well, I am really curious because there's a lot of hr transformation that's been going on forever it seems like and uh before covid there was what mckinsey willers towers watson mercer josh burson among them who are saying and even me um as a minor influencer in this uh area where we need new management models you know the data and information that's present you know what do you do with it and you know if we have our legacy silos and ways of thinking we're going to underutilize these assets that we're talking about here today and i'm hopeful like you said that it is the chro that it, it even beyond hr arguably because when you talk about uh, digital transformation uh, outsourcing you know robotic automation all these ways work can get done you know that's a broader conversation and i think we have room to recreate how not only hr functions but how the organization defines work and plans for how work gets done so again i'm throwing my bias on top of this, but this insight, I, I want it to be utilized mm -hmm. to its value. And yes. right now I think it's grossly underutilized. That's my bias. So I, I mentioned build, buy, borrow and all that. And if you want to bring up that slide, I don't want to force you to, you don't have to, but there's so many 
bees now. Can you you mind speaking to this real quick? Yeah, absolutely. And I I think uh, the reason we uh, we went a little bit more broad with the because uh, the build by borrow strategy is only part of the story. Um, and so how we think about this is, you know, thinking about, you know, retaining talent, you know, so how do we bind, what are our strategies to bind the right talent that goes beyond just building? Um, that means, are we focused on our culture? Are we focused on extra benefits? Are we, uh, focused on, uh, differentiated development for those groups? And so that is, um, you know, a critical component that doesn't get talked about enough. And then there's the bounce component of when do we need to remove folks, uh, strategically or move them to a different part of the company uh, where their interests or where their skills might, uh, you know, be more efficiently used. Um, And then thinking about the blend strategy, this is obviously um, part of the borrow strategy, but blend is really looking at the extended workforce and contractors and how can we change up some of the working models that we have, you know, do we need a full-time role or if we're struggling to hire, can we split that into two part-time roles? Can we look at, you know, hybrid scheduling models? Um, Some of the cool things that our customers are working on is a Uber-like app that uh, does scheduling for, you know, call centers and, you know, different areas where you, where you need, you know, coverage over a period of time. And they're able to log on, like you're logging on to Uber or Instacart to pick your hours that you want to work. And so you think about that and like that completely upends the workforce, uh, you know, planning strategy, because now we can think about roles, having different shift schedules and different options for, um, engaging new new employees um and that goes right into broadening our talent pools if we go to more part-time work does that broaden um some work so we can you know hire some retirees um that are looking for work but they don't want to work 40 hours anymore or or beyond that is what often uh happens so can we get you know three people to do 15 hours a week to cover um what is needed for those roles and so thinking about the differentiated talent pools where we do have these talent shortages um, you know, have we looked at the partnering with prisons or schools or uh, many other areas that we can un- untap this talent? And then of course, bot is, is usually talked about in the build by borrow core. That's usually the four cores build by borrow bot. And it's like with this digital transformation, how do we look at our roles and what parts of those roles could be automated or can entire roles be automated with the use of technology or robotics? And so we think this is a pretty comprehensive list. There's certainly others out there. Um, but this is the holistic thinking that we need to think through with our talent strategy. And one of the trends that um, I loved that my time at United Health Group, they went to a chief talent officer model. So you had the CHRO um, in each of our big divisions um, that were you know, running the show, but they said, we need to have a holistic talent view of what's happening with the development and mobility and retention strategies um, across all of our orgs. And so they, they created kind of a sub leadership role just to focus on the talent strategy itself. Um, and so again, super innovative, um, not many companies are doing that, but we're starting to see a little bit more focus on bringing this holistic, um, talent movement and talent retention strategy, uh, really come to the forefront. And so talking about B strategies, a little bit of a, uh, kitschy way of, <laughs> of talking about strategy, but it's, uh, it's, it's something fun and hopefully people can remember that. Well, I, I, I so celebrated. I, I, so when I first stepped into this field, uh, 20 years ago, I had the great privilege of engaging the center for effective organizations at USC, specifically John Boudreau. And he was sharing at the time, what we really need is a mental models that we can align around so we can actually have 
informed discussions, not only about what's possible, but what to do, what is the appropriate action. And what you're offering is just that, you know, this is a very accessible way of thinking. So absolutely celebrate it. And uh, I'm frankly going to write about it. So I'm just telling you right now, that there, there's more, more to come on that. So you, you can steal all of them. We don't uh, copyright any of that. So. <laughs> no, no stealing. We'll just uh, and keep building on, on top of one of those works. Awesome. So Hey, Mark, as we start to wrap up now, I know uh, June 16th in Minneapolis. We're also going to be in Chicago on June 8th. We're doing a meetup uh, on Wednesday before the Taureos event. A lot of activity going on in the space. I'll be at Josh Burson's event, Irresistible, uh, next week, where I know talent intelligence is going to be talked about a lot. So all that is the staging. I know you have a rebrand coming up that you can't talk about. <laughs> however, no. No. however, um, look out for it uh, towards the end of June. So I'll just say that. I mean, I don't know anything about it other than the date. And so I got it marked on my calendar and I'm really excited for you all. You know, I think it's obvious that I've been a fan of MZ and Burning Glass for a long time and you specifically. So thank you for sharing. How can people learn more about you and what you all are doing and will be doing? Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, the best spot to reach me is LinkedIn. Um, love connecting with folks and hearing uh, their stories. And yeah, always willing to talk shop and, uh, you know, just talk about time and people analytics or current time working with skills and in uh, really fun uh, labor data. Um, and of course, our company website, mzbg.com. Um, we're very excited about not saying MZ Burning Glass. Um, really good for the first year to make sure that there's continuity, but we're excited to get a new company name coming up soon, like you mentioned. So um Al, thanks again for for having me. I truly appreciate it. Always love our uh, uh, interactions and, and collaborations. And so truly appreciate it. Uh, likewise, my friend. All right. You have a great rest of the day and uh, see you in a couple weeks or yeah, yeah two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks, All right. Appreciate All right. it. All right. Be well. Thank you.